mentioned. You see, walls defined the city. This is what's said in Psalms about the walls of Jerusalem. They were regarded as a testimony to the faithfulness of God in a covenant nation. And it says this, walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels that they may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever, and he will guide us forever. I, I think of our, our God is a strong tower. A lot of times we sing that song that comes from the Psalms. And so there's this picture throughout Scripture, specifically in the Old Testament, this idea that walls signifying strength and protection and comfort and majesty and God's protection over his people. Now, there are also negative uh, examples in Scripture and um, the idea that when we misplace our trust in something other than God, uh, the risk of putting confidence in a, in a, in a people rather than God is pictured as, in Psalms as a, a leaning wall or a teetering fence. Proverbs tells us this way, a man without self-control is like a city broken into, and left without walls. We're talking about walls today. In case you haven't figured it out, walls are, are the description of history for us. About 20-some years ago, there was a process of this church moving to this location that we are in now. And, and in that process, they, they put together uh, some company we had, took some of the pictures of, of a lot of our people, and put together with song this, this VHS tape. Okay, I'm dating myself. This tape that was said, if these walls could talk, what would they say? And it was a, a wall, and it was just a video um, I tried to find it this week, the, the old VHS tape. The problem is I found several VHS tapes. I didn't have anything to play it on, so I don't know if I have it or not. But I want to see that video because I can fondly remember that moment. Something happened when, when we built this place out here and we were leaving the place where we used to be. <clears throat> Some of you might remember this. It was just like there was something like just sad about leaving a place and leaving the pews and leaving this very, very dark, um, we had dark wood on the old building. It was just like you're going into a cave. If you want people to sleep, come to the old Sunny Brook and you can sleep well. I mean, it was dark in there. And, and I, I, you know, why do we love it so much? And then we realized because we would look at pews and we would think of people who sat there and, and we remember attending funerals and weddings, right? Remember doing VBS and singing silly songs. Remember having revivals there. And it was, it was kind of like, like if you've moved from living in a house for a long time and you're loading it all up, you got, can't believe we got all this stuff, and then you're starting to move and there's something about you. It's like, I don't know if I want to leave because the memories, I want to take them with me. And you do, but there's something about, but I need the memory in this place and it won't be the same, right? Maybe we felt that. And, and this is the idea, and that led us to this idea. What do these walls say? How would they speak to us? And so I want to ask that question. So what does history say? I think there's a couple of misuses of history. And one of those is that we may want to ignore it. And I think that's a dangerous thing. And I, I find that uh, in, in our culture today that a lot of times we just want to forget about history, ignore it totally. We think it's irrelevant or it's useless. Uh, 
when we as believers, even in the church, ignore the past traditions and values, we can quickly lose uh, the vision uh, and undo what God has accomplished through his spirit and his church. And so I think there's a little bit of a danger of ignoring history. There's also, though, the danger, the misuse of, of just idolizing history. You know, the idea of, of worshiping the past so much that we avoid the present responsibility that we have and the intentional preparation for the future. A man said that he knew only one perfect person other than Jesus. And he said, it's my wife's dead first husband. And the idea behind that is, there's nobody perfect. It's amazing when somebody goes and we miss somebody, well, how great they were, but really, all of us are broken and all of us uh, aren't perfect. And our past wasn't perfect. It's not. I, I want to... I want to walk through history, and I don't know if you were prepared for a history uh, lesson today. That may not be the highest thing on your list, but I think it speaks to us, and I want us to know our history. And when I talk about history, I'm talking about church history. About nine or ten years ago, our staff went to Catalyst in Atlanta, and Matt Chandler uh, was preaching, and he used this illustration, and I'm going to take it and kind of modify it for us a little bit, but I think it speaks to us. You see, in Matthew 28, Jesus, when he has risen and he is going to be with the Father, he gives this command. He tells us to go into all the nations and preach and teach the world about him. And we see this incredible you know, bravado of Matthew 28 and this call that we are given to us. And then we jump into Acts. And uh, the, the apostles are waiting around for something to happen. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up. And it is crazy. People are hearing a bunch of different languages and they're all understanding each other's language and, and something amazing is going on. They're trying to figure it out. Peter gets up and he preaches the message of the gospel. And, he's, and he calls him, those you have crucified, God has raised from the dead. And you know what happened? The Holy Spirit moved. The church began and 3,000 stepped forward to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. By Acts 5, 5,000 are disciples. Acts 10, we're still primarily a Jewish uh, church identity. And Peter has this vision. He's sleeping on the top of a roof. He's kind of having this vision in and out. All of a sudden, he hears the doorbell ring. He goes downstairs. And there are some people there from the, from the line and from the household of Cornelius, who was not Jewish, from an Italian background. And they invite Peter to go join them. <clears throat> and he goes to their house and immediately shares the gospel with non-Jewish people. You know what happens? They accept it, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and Peter is going, oh, here we go. You know what happens a couple chapters later in Acts? They have the first church board meeting, and they all meet in Jerusalem called the council, and they sit around and talk about, should we allow this? And they came up, and they decided as the leaders of this new church, the church that we're a part of, and they said, I think we need to accept them. Gave him a couple of rules, but, but now the church is no longer just Jewish. It is both Gentile and Jews. And Peter preaches, and they accept uh, Christ, and that happens, and then we go, and then we move, and then it gets crazy. And let me walk through this really fast. I think i got three minutes to rock this out. In 42 A.D., Mark goes to Egypt. In 49 AD, Paul heads to Turkey. In 51, Paul heads to Greece. In 52, the apostle Thomas heads to India. In 54 AD, Paul sets off on his third missionary journey. In 174 AD, Christians are reported to be in Austria. 
In 280, the first rural churches emerged in northern Italy. And by that time, there had only been churches that had been established in cities, and now there was reports of rural uh, churches in the farmland. In 350, 31.7 million people claimed Christ as Lord throughout the Roman Empire. Approximately 53% of the Roman world as they knew it were now followers of Jesus. In 432, a guy named Patrick heads to share the gospel in Ireland. Yeah, we celebrate that day. Maybe we shouldn't so much. In 596, Gregory the Great sends Augustine and a team of missionaries to England to reintroduce the gospel. And within two years, 10,000 come to Christ. In 635, the first missionaries arrive in China. In 740, Irish monks reach Iceland. In 900 AD, missionaries reach Norway. In 1200 BC, the Bible is available excuse me, 80, sorry. In 1200 AD, the Bible is available in 22 different languages. In 1498, the first Christians are reported in Kenya, Africa. In 1501, Pope Alexander VI grants to the crown of Spain all the newly discovered countries in the Americas, only on this condition, that provisions be made for religious instruction for the native population. In 537, Pope Paul III orders that Native Americans be brought to Christ by this methodology, through the preaching of the divine word and the example of a Christian life. In 1554, 1,500 converts are found in Thailand. In 1630, an attempt is made in El Paso, Texas to form a missionary outreach among the Mesos Indians. In 1666, John Eliot publishes the Indian grammar to assist in conversion of Indian natives. And in 1743, David Brainerd begins a ministry to Native American Indians. In 1770, John Marinette, a free black man from New York City, begins cross-cultural ministry with American Indians. In the 1800s, Barton W. Stone in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, and Thomas Campbell and his son Alexander begin preaching revivals that began what is known as the Restoration Movement, which referred to themselves as Christians only. In 1889, the land run was quickly followed with numerous tent revivals, bringing the gospel to what is now Oklahoma. In 1894, it's unbelievable, just five years later, the first Christian church in Miami, Oklahoma is founded. In 1901, the first church in Cleveland, Oklahoma, was founded. Yeah, got some shout-outs for Tigers back there. Reason why that one's important, just give you a heads up here. The church in Cleveland, many years ago, loaned Sunnybrook $60,000 because, frankly, the church was about to go under. Didn't have the money to pay our bills. Couldn't afford the new preacher that was coming. They gave us $60,000 we paid off in six months. Thankful for them. In 1942, Mozart Bible College had its new beginnings in Joplin, Missouri, where several of your ministers and many of our Timothys have received their education for full-time Christian service. In 1976, Ninth Avenue Christian Church in Stillwater, Oklahoma, gave 5.6 acres on the east side of Stillwater to start a mission church which became Sunnybrook Christian Church. In 1990, famous tornado hit Stillwater in the church as well, blowing out the back wall of the auditorium. The church saw this as an opportunity to add up to 900 square feet onto the back, giving us overflow rooms for Sunday school class and extra seating uh, in the church building. 
Later that same year, the minister and his youth guy drove around town hoping to find someone, some possible land to maybe purchase for a new location that is now Sunnybrook. And those dreams became true as we saw the 16 acres in which we are now sitting in on the corner of Richmond and Perkins Road. On August 14, 1994, the first service was held in this building in which you now sit. An addition soon followed in 1998 to add offices and education space. Sunnybrook has continued to support the spread of the gospel in places uh, like our own town. Many of the college students today are, are part of a ministry, whether it's our local ministry out of our own pastors, college pastors here, or, or many of the great ministries that several of our leaders uh, live and work in this community and serve from this church. Uh, we have the commitment that Sunnybrook has had with like Mount Zion Baptist Church here in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and is also like the Community Care Fellowship in Dallas, Texas, like Piedras Negras in Mexico, like El Socorro, Honduras, Papua New Guinea, Ghana, and Ethiopia, Africa, Osaka, and Nagoya, Japan. You see, God is still about his work of redeeming and reconciling by the work of Christ on the cross. So what do those walls say to us in this room today? If you have a Bible, you're going to need to have two fingers to keep two points, two places. If you're going to use your phone, I don't know, you probably can do that too. I have no idea how that works, but you could probably do that. But I want you to look up Hebrews 12, real famous passage. 1 Corinthians 3, not quite as famous, still really good. I want you to look at those passages and hold those. We're going to go back and forth in those. Let me give you a little bit of background to Hebrews 12 if you're not familiar. Hebrews 11, the chapter right before it, the writer is giving us this incredible litany list of history. I shared history from Christ going to be with the Father till now. Hebrews 11 talks about the gospel from the very beginning, from the creation, starting with Abel, dealing there, Adam's son, and what he was doing, and walking us through to the time where Christ actually became the fulfillment that was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And so Hebrews 11 is this great hall of fame, if you will, of faithful people. Many names you would recognize in there. Men like, like Abel and like Abraham, like Sarah and like Moses, and even Rahab is mentioned and many thoughts are shared about her. Others are mentioned by name only. It's kind of crazy to me that David is just mentioned. David, Really, like the Davids, like, like my hero David, that's all he gets? David, yep, just mentioned my name. Still others are mentioned by exploits that they did. And, and actually others are just mentioned, not even by name or exploits, but just how they died. And in light of those mentioned, the writer takes us to 12. And there's this crescendo building. And notice the name that's mentioned there, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to, there it is, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In light of all of these names and all of these stories in hundreds of years, it crescendos in Hebrews 12 with the mention 
of the ultimate name, with everyone looking on, running, and fixing their eyes on Jesus, the founder, the author, the faith perfecter, the CEO, uh, taking it in and, and taking in this picture of Jesus who did what? Who for the joy that was set before him, being in heaven, came down and endured the cross and despised that shame, fulfilling his promise to us. So what do these walls say? I'm going to throw out a word and I'm going to throw out a, a line. The, the idea of sacrifice. I think, I think our history would tell us that at, at, the, at the core of our history is a sacrifice. In light of what Jesus Christ calls, speak loudly. 1 Corinthians, jump there. 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to start in verse 5. Let me give you a little bit of a background there too as well. Paul had started a church in Corinth, a city in Macedonia, Greece area, that big peninsula area. Actually, it's on an isthmus. Uh, and he has started this church. And, and this church, is, even though it's a young church, by standards of the churches that were out there, it was actually <laughs> had a little history to it. Paul had preached there, and now a guy named Apollos is preaching there. <clears throat> and so in this kind of growing, maturing church, or at least what we expected to be a growing, maturing church, should have been maturing Christians who are being transformed by the word of God. And I'm not saying that didn't happen, but according to this letter, it looked a little rough for these folks. I, I just wouldn't wear my Corinthian letter jacket anywhere anytime soon. You know, I mean, it, they had, if you, if you read Corinthians, it's, it's ouch. There is a lot of difficult things going on there. And in this first part section, he is, he's using this illustration of uh, dealing with an issue right at the very beginning. Paul had preached there. Apollos is now preaching there. Paul is writing a letter back after he hears about what this church is going through and how immature they are. And he starts in verse 5. He, he does this because their issue is in leadership. Their issue was instead of like focusing on God, they started to have opinions and views of the preachers who had filled the pulpit in their church. Okay? Verse 5. And this is Paul writing this, right? So listen, this is Paul, one of the guys who was preaching there before. What then is Paulus? What is Paul? What is me? It's just servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Paul says. Paul says, I watered. But God gave the growth. Catch that. But God gave the growth. So here's something to clue you in with. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. I love the hint here of judgment. If you were to read the rest of three, you're going to catch some judgment language as he's talking about what we build on. And, and he says, for we are, I love this, God's fellow workers. Like we're, we're, we're partnering with God. God has chosen to allow us to partner with him to be fellow walk, workers, and we are God's field. And then we are God's building. And I don't think I'm stretching here. I, I, I think, and we are God's walls. Last part of this verse is, this section is stunning. According to the grace of God given me, this is Paul saying, like a skilled master, he's calling himself, I'm a skilled master builder. I laid a foundation. And so you hear that and go, and he sounds a little cocky, but he's just, he's talking from the gifts that God gave him. I am an ex, I'm a master builder. I laid a foundation. 
and someone else is building on it, Paulus. But for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What do these walls say? We are standing on the best foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so our history would tell us, have you centered on the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Have you fixed your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith? Have you founded and grounded yourself in that? You see, there was an example in Corinth of an immature and wrong thinking about our history and about the walls. When we idolize the gospel herald and miss the God-man of the gospel, it's a dangerous thing. The miracle of the gospel is not in planting and watering, it's in the increase, it's in the growth. The miracle of the germination process of God transforming a heart. This, this is the miraculous that is happening. The transformation of God performing doing that work in our hearts. And that leads us to the second thing the walls would say. I think they're, they're just grateful to be walls. They're just grateful to be history. In light of what Christ's complete work has done in us, we recognize those who herald and live out the gospel before us. I think this is what's interesting. Paul is not saying, so hate Paul and hate Apollos. What he's saying is make sure you get it right. Make sure you understand it's, it's not about a personality. It's not about a person. It's about the Lord Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom we find our foundation. But at the same token, I want us to go back to Hebrews and hear this. See, in Hebrews 12, after describing this incredible history of, of people who were faithful to God and did what God called them to do, and many of them actually were martyred for their faith, he says, in light of that, now that you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now run and focus on Jesus. And, and I love that we, we kind of use Paul and Apollos as examples of, hey, our job is just to water and just to plant and God's going to do the increase. That hasn't changed because our foundation has stayed in him. But yet in the same way, we thank God on behalf of you. And I think when we're talking about this whole attitude that when we have sacrifice and we understand truly what God has done, then we become grateful as the walls are grateful. They're grateful. They have a sense of gratitude uh, of what God has done. And, and I love this idea. You know, we, we talk about a surrounding a great cloud of witnesses. We kind of see it like a, like a, like a t-ball game. Like we, we're going to go down to the ballpark. <clears throat> a bunch of parents are going to ooh and all over and take pictures of their kids who are doing uh, headstands in their positions on the field and they swing in a ball that's not moving <coughs> and try and hit it and then they run and then they run and then they run and then they run and then everybody cheers. Hey, my kid is awesome. Okay, which is fun by the way. It's fun. It's fun to do. But it's, it's almost like that's how we see the witnesses of God. You know, Moses, yay, way to go, Paul. You're just doing so awesome. I just can't see Moses doing that. I definitely can't see Paul doing that or the other Paul or David. But what are they doing? Okay, I'm not saying they don't cheer us on, but what I am saying is this, that they witness, that they, they actually bore witness to us. You see, the walls talk because we stand on the shoulders 
of those who have borne witness to us. For those who have charted a course that we can find. And we can step ourselves and we, we see and watch that they were founded in the Lord. And then, and then we look down and, and there's some hands holding our calves. And we're on the shoulders of someone. And that's our history. I don't know when the last time it was for you to look back and be thankful for those who have sacrificed on behalf of you being grounded on the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is graduation, right? You guys are in finals. A lot of you college students. High school is coming quickly. I mean, you're reflecting on summer and New Zealand, right, and places you're going and getting the job back home or coming back home, right, and all of these kinds of things, and, and that's awesome, but is this a time to just go, man, I'm driving this vehicle, my parents got that for me, you know, I, I, somebody invited me to this church, I'm, I kind of got a lost stagnant church, somebody's kind of got me back in the word, you know, who, who's done that for me? Man, I probably ought to write them. I probably ought to just tell them how much I appreciate them steering me back on the shoulders of someone who's standing and founded in Jesus Christ. And I think that's what the walls would say. They're standing. Our history stands because they're grateful that I they have the opportunity to stand on the foundation of the world that of Jesus Christ. That I can stand there. Uh, this is just, did I get to, to hold on to someone else's legs and hold them up? Did I get to chart a path for someone else to follow? Just, just grateful. You see, we're standing on someone's shoulders. Those who planted their legs on the firm foundation of Christ and the gospel hold us up. And there's always an opportunity for a response to sacrifice. The appropriate response is Worship. To God who gave us eternal hope and gratitude. This is where it comes from. Is that we are going to go into a time where we're going to worship. And remember the sacrifice that he had for us. And it's an opportunity to thank him. To be grateful for that. And there is an appropriate response. And it's worship to God. Being thankful also to God. On behalf of those who have guarded the truth of the gospel for us. Who've lived and are living out the gospel before us and have for centuries, who have charted a path for us, whose shoulders we now stand on. Leads us to our third thing that I think the walls would say. And I think it, it, it just kind of builds on everything. I mean, if, if I'm going to draw this, I think I have time today, so I'm going to draw this one. I mean, if, if, if sacrifice is the big deal, right? We're talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. Okay, sacrifice, recognizing what Christ has done, makes us grateful, right? And our gratitude moves us to this, and this is the word, right? To be generous. We're, we're, we're following this, this incredible cycle that God has put before us, this idea that Sacrifice because what Christ has done, I am so grateful to him. I am so grateful for the people and who have charted a course so that me, 2,000 years ago, has not lost the relevancy of Jesus Christ and what that means. And because churches have not gone under and continue to preach the gospel and God has been faithful to them, that we sit in a building because of Christ and what he's done. 
and I'm grateful. And gratefulness always moves me to generosity. And it needs to move us to that. You know, we were, Jim asked the question in staff meeting as we were talking about this week, and he asked the question, you know, what do you think people would say? What do you think Walls would say? And Scott Irwin, one of our college guys, said this, and, I, and I, that's when resonated to me, and I just had to put it in here. It's like, it's no big deal. Really, it's, it's what we do. I mean, in light of what God's done, what else could I do? Right? Because of what God has given me, I just, I, it's, it's nothing in comparison to what else I could be doing. And that is a move of a transformed heart. I think they would also say, man, I wish I could have done more. I think the walls say that. You see, because when I look at the walls in this room and think of the history, specifically to this little church here on the corner of Perkins and Richmond Road, and I see faces. I see people that are no longer with us on this earth who now have been faithful, who are now in the presence of the God Almighty, who are now, okay, cheering us on, who have borne witness and who are excited for us to maintain and to stay true to the foundation for which we stand on the shoulders of those who stand on the foundation of Jesus. Can I mention a couple of those to you? Doing good, Jim. Not crying. I think I cried out all over first service. This is a couple. Probably a lot of you don't know. It's kind of an old name, and that's true because they were old. They were really old a long time ago. Herman and Loretta. Now, if that's your name, I apologize. Just I don't mean anything. Herman's an awesome name. Herman and Loretta, when I met them, they, I think they were already late 80s. Um, and this is my memory of them. And these are a part of the walls, right? Uh, we had built this facility, so in 94, and we were out here, and, and our, our offices were here, so all of us drove, like all of you do, every Sunday to this place. And we'd get here early as staff, and, and every it didn't matter how early we came. There was a blue and white Ford pickup parked right here in the parking lot. There was no, uh, back in that day, there weren't a um, handicapped parking lot. Remember those days? That's a bad thing. That's just who we were. We didn't realize it. Maybe people ought to park closer who can't walk as well. You know, Herman Loretta were in their 90s, right? 96, 98, here before anybody, before the doors were open. And as soon as they saw somebody pulling the parking lot, they began to walk up to the, to, to the, uh, to the sanctuary and began to do whatever needed to be done. And, and the verse that comes to mind is, don't forsake the meeting together of the saints. And I think of Herman and Loretta. See, they're on the wall. Can't see them. But they stood on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Let me give you another one. Ted and Elva. Ted and Elba, I, I, I don't believe Ted ever got to be in this building, but he's still on the wall. His wife, Elba, did. Ted was one of those, you gave him a job, and he did it for, like, the rest of his life. And so by the time I got here, he was already doing the job that he was cut out to do. And his job was to take care of the yard. And at the old building, he planted these, <coughs> these Bradford pears, 
along the side of our building because along the side of our building was the backyards of people's houses. We were in a neighborhood. It was buried back in there. Um, and uh, I just remember several days during the week, especially in the summer, uh, Ted would be logging out this hose and walking and hand-watering each one of these, taking care of manicuring these trees. They're just trees, these flowers. They're just flowers. They're going to die anyway. No, that's my job. He would just do that. I, I, I only heard him. I, I mean, he hardly responded to me. I mean, and I think a lot of people, he was just a quieter man. Um, I remember one conversation for another time. Um, but, I, but I see him on the wall. Of just, this is what God has allowed me to do. I'm, I'm going to take care of trees so that we have a beautiful place that perhaps someone might walk by and goes, well, that's a nice yard, and that's a church. You see his goal? Probably not making a lot of lists. Not in the Hebrews 11, probably. But he's still on the wall because he's faithful. His wife, Elva, this is kind of a cool thing. Elva was, she had enough words, I think, for both of them. And she was awesome, and she, I just remember, you know, cookies at VBS and just smiling, a part of our primetimers class, and just an incredible lady. And um, I think years, kind of a cool thing. I think we still do that, don't we? Yeah, just kidding. Yes, we do. And Ted and Elba, so in their 80s, were uh, adoptive parents to college students, so much like a lot of you. And I remember a couple that they got and they just had and pretty much had the rest of their life, raised them as their kids. Uh, this couple, I don't think we were married at the time, but then they got married later, and they were a part of the college ministry here at, uh, at the table. Uh, and their names were David and Katie. And David and Katie uh, were well involved. They were youth sponsors. She played piano. They were well involved. They, they took jobs and were able to stay here for a while, still adopted parents, you know. Still, these are my parents in town. And, and they later moved to Joplin, Missouri. And I think what's kind of cool is that they were incredible parents for college students because it matters to the kingdom because Jesus has changed their life I think it's pretty cool that David and Katie's two daughters are involved in this church they go to OSU another generation that have only heard the stories of this adopted parents that were their parents adopted parents that's Ted and Elba let me give you another one A lot of you may know these guys. We lost Rick here recently. He passed, got sick, and went fast. And it was just crazy. Rick and Doe. Rick is, you never see him on stage here, by the way. He wouldn't have been up here. He wouldn't have been teaching a Sunday school class. He'd be in Wednesday night. He'd sit over in that corner, right, Jim? Sit there. Um, faithful. Did a job, kind of like Ted, just had a job and a responsibility and just owned it. And, and he says, Paul, I don't, I don't put me in front. I don't want to pray in front of you. I don't want to do any of that. But, and he took this job, and he was the counter for Sunday school. And he'd go to the classes. And he, you guys, some of you remember this. He, he would go to the classes, and he would count the number of people in the classes. And then he'd give that to us as ministers. And this is our way of knowing, well, they were down. I wonder who was gone. And how do we check on somebody that was missing that wasn't a part of our Sunday services? And that was Rick's job for the kingdom. His wife, Doe, if you've got a baby, you would know Doe. Because Doe, for as far as I can remember, is in the back during this service. She comes to first, goes to the back, holds babies, and loves them 
and points them to Jesus. That's the example that he laid. Here's another one. I'm embarrassing people here because they're, the, they're here. Okay, so I won't look at them. We'll just ignore looking at people. But um, when, when my wife and I, I think we just had one and a half or two and a half kids at the time. I don't think we had all three yet. Um, and um, we were moving out to this place. And so in the process of moving out here, you know, you just don't like, hey, could you guys put a church up for us? That'd be great. We'll, we'll give you an extra 10000 if you build that church. Now, they weren't going to do that. And so we realized that for us to build something, we, we needed to have the money to do that. And so we started a fundraising program. And, and uh, part of that was it was really awkward, fun at the same time. And, and I remember there were certain people on committees like hostesses and all this kind of stuff. And one of the things that they required them to do is to stand up and give a testimony of how God has been faithful to them. And then how are they going to sacrifice for the kingdom, specifically this building program? And every single one of them, I can almost remember every face, they were embarrassed because, like, the guy said, I need you to tell, a, like, a physical amount of money. And everybody in the room was like, oh, I hope I don't have to do that. Mine was like, like the cost of a movie is what I'm thinking, you know. And I remember Blaine and Annette getting up there. And uh, a little bit older than us, their kids were a little bit older than ours. And so we were kind of looking to them, watch their marriage, watch how they were raising kids, like we, a lot of us do, people that are older and seeing how they do that. And, and I just remember them up here embarrassed to say that we've been saving up for a van. You know, there's this van we've had for a long time. It's kind of on its last wheel. Uh, we've been saving this money to, to buy a new van to replace our van. But I, we feel like God's calling us to, to take that money and give it for a greater cause. And we're just going to trust that this van's going to last another three or six years. And I remember watching that, and I was in a need of repentance at that moment. I was thinking, oh, how do I find money in my budget? I don't know how I find that. And, and to see that example and see an old van last a few more years, and Julie and I looking at us and redoing some, I can't figure out this number, we're just going to do this. Those are on the walls. That's our history. That's where people who are trusting in the foundation of Jesus Christ and are willing to hold up and make a way for someone else. Okay. Mike and Kim. Mike and Kim were, uh, uh, like a lot of you guys, just like you sponsors for life. Okay, some of you are going, I know, I'm so tired. Right, youth ministers, for, you know, youth sponsors for life. And when I came here, they were some of our youth minister sponsors, and and then I quickly learned how much they love like high school students, like crazy, like like weird, loved them, you know, like I loved them, but like they way loved them, like they fed them all the time, and they had three little ones running around their their ankles, and they would open up their house every Sunday night after youth group, and all of these kids would pour into their house. It wasn't big enough. Breaking chairs, breaking sofas, breaking windows, eating all the food, sometimes showing up to their house and breaking into their house when they're not there. I need to own up to that one. I was part of that. Um, this is what they had. This incredible giving of their home. But let me tell you a little bit about Mike and Kim. They didn't just open their home. Uh, I love how the scriptures, they opened up their lives as well. I love that text. They did that. Had three little kids. 
I, don't, I really don't think they ever took a vacation. Like, I, I don't even think they ever, like, did something where their family, like, went to, like, Dallas and went to Six Flags. I don't, maybe they went to the, I may be exaggerating, maybe they went to the city and played at Dave and Buster's or something. But, I mean, really, I can tell you, he worked at Merck, she worked uh, odd jobs and began to work at the church, and um, their vacations were like youthquake, right? Their vacations were like a spring break ski trip. Their vacations was three weeks at church camp. See, after they had given to the kids, your kids, they didn't have the opportunities of some things that we just think are natural, like a vacation. It's a long weekend. We got to go somewhere. No, they were faithful. They are on the walls. I got a couple more here. I am going to put this one because there's just too many names to say. This one gets me because I, I have been blessed because of the leadership of some great men over the years at this place. I think of an Alan uh, years ago. He's passed to be with the Lord. You know, I remember him riding with me to the hospital. We were going to see somebody in the hospital in Tulsa and um, the person that was a patient was on the fifth floor. Alan didn't like heights, so he just stayed in the car. <laughs> he stayed in the car and paid, or prayed. I went to five steps, but I enjoyed my ride. As he encouraged me as a young minister and, and his love for people, I'll, I'm willing to drive and take my day to go to Tulsa and not see the person we're here to see, but be a companion to you. So I, I think of Alan. I think of, I can't start naming names because I'm going to leave somebody out of men, but this is what they've witnessed to me. This is just me. I don't know about you. Um, but they witnessed to me how to be a husband. They witnessed to me how to govern. How to govern for Christ's sake. And you had to speak truth amidst attack. I just have to say his name, Lowell, right here. I can't think of not seeing Lowell here. I'm, I'm telling you, like Stephen giving a speech before he was stoned to death. Taught me how to serve. Taught me how to be wise with finances. They taught me that I didn't have all the answers. They're on the wall. We're standing on their shoulders. There's a church today because God chose to use some men who were sacrificing their lives for the sake of the kingdom in this place. And you sit in a pew because elders love Jesus even more than you to provide a place for you. The last one I'm not going to put up, it's Bill and Noel and Rocky. And they're around here. You may know Bill and Noel or Rocky. Um, they're cooking buddies with me. So if we do a meal, there's some new ones that are added, but they for a long time are Rocky burns his head and cooks hot dogs for Jesus. And you eat them and say they're great for Jesus and, and all these things. So it's Bill Chavez, Noel Watkins, Rocky Brown. But the other part of them that, that I admire is that they want to serve God and find their place to serve for the sake of the kingdom. And then they are hungry, like the Bereans, for the word of God. And I think of those men because they don't just show up to cook. 
burgers for y'all, the kids, whatever. They're hungry for the word of God. I think all three of them are older than I, uh, one barely. Um, But they are here on a Monday for a Bible study. And they're here on a Tuesday morning for a Bible study. And they're here on Wednesday night taking notes at a Bible study. And they attend a Sunday school class and a Bible study. And they're part of a live crew doing Bible study. They are bearing witness for what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to stand and trust and put your life on him. The end of, the end of Hebrews 11 um, does one of these, and I don't have time to tell you a rest about. Let me do that for us. I don't have time to mention uh, the rest of those who opened doors, who taught toddlers, who held babies, who took a meal to the sick, who prayed for the prodigal, who loved me when I was ugly, who drove my van to youthquake, who gave up vacations to build me a church building, who opened their home to a college student, who bought coats for an elementary student. Could I go on? Sure. And here's the question. Because one day, we will be a part of the walls. One day, if we hold fast to the foundation of Jesus Christ, that somehow what looks like a puny life, like I'm not sure what I've done, but God, I trust you, that one way we will lift our hands and we will hold the calves of a generation who will have the opportunity to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How will your generosity flesh out? This morning, all my family's here. I've got a couple kids here and three and, and grandkids, and we've had a great weekend. It's just been fun. Last night I bought steak, and I need some money. No, I don't. I'm fine. Just kidding. That's terrible to say that, right? Drain the wallet a little bit. Um, but this morning when I got up, it was quiet. They stayed up and watched a movie. I had to go to bed. And it was quiet around the house, and, and I was walking out, and I was putting on my belt in front of the mirror in the, the four-way entry, and I looked over, and somebody had organized about 15 pairs of shoes, right? Little, like little kids, little girl shoes, big boy shoes, adult moms and daddy shoes, and they're just all lined up just in a real pretty row. And, and, and I just couldn't help but think of today in the message that those shoes will hold feet that at some level I'm responsible to do this too, right? And so this message cuts both ways. It's, it's an opportunity to be thankful, but it's also a responsibility to be generous. Like, like I have a responsibility, and it's not have so much as I get to be a part of this incredible kingdom, be a part of the family of God, and I get to serve, I, I get to be generous, I get God to transform my heart from the inside out and become more like him. I get to be transformed and generosity plays a part of that. You see, the circle keeps going. I mean, that's an S there. For those of you that drive you nuts, is that we just come around. You see, we become like Jesus because of his sacrifice. We're grateful. We become generous and God does a work in us and then we in turn, sacrifice. By the way, in case you've not gotten this, God doesn't want your money, and He doesn't want your time. He wants you. He wants you, all of you. All of you. Last weekend, we watched the movie Mag Seven, Magnificent Seven. It's a remake of an old 
Yul Brynner cowboy and western movie, Magnificent Seven. And Denzel Washington plays this part in the movie where he is a, a bounty hunter, comes to the city. Uh, he's leaving the city, going off to do the next, you know, wanted man he needs to get and get money for and security for. And this lady comes up to him, running at him, goes, Mr., Mr., could you please help us? <clears throat> she had a situation in the town that she was from, and, and uh, some, some scoundrels had come in and taken over the city and killed the men, and, and they, their, their city needed saving, Right? And here's Denzel on a horse. I don't think he's ever been on a horse before, but he was riding the horse, and you know, and this lady's come up pleading for help from, from Denzel Washington. And she throws this satchel and just throws it at him. Take it. Please come help us. And he opens and he looks, and he's walking. A little bit later, one of the seven, as he's putting the seven together, asks him, so how much are we getting for this? And this statement is what she said. And I was sitting by Scott, and we looked at each other. Wow. Um, she says, you know what? I've been paid a lot for my services, but never everything. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. See, sacrifice is the foundation of God's sanctifying work in us. And so that we, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, are grateful, which leads to generosity, which allows us to sacrifice. I wish I could do more. God, help me to give all. We're going to go into a time of communion and worship. It's apropos. As we think about our history, do some neat things here. We're going to take communion. We're going to remember as family, as a church body together. We're going to worship him and give him honor and praise, and we're going to remember. I don't know about you, but I hope that you've been inspired to remind yourselves, to remember those men and women that you look down and they have your ankles. These walls, there's two in the back and there's two up here, we want you to fill those with names. Take your time. Just write down a name of someone that God has put in your path and has charted a course because they've been grounded in Jesus for you. Let's do this with joy. Let's pray. God, I thank you. You're awesome, God. I thank you for your, your love and your mercy. I thank you for walls that speak loudly today. Father, I, I'm humbled by the gravitation of people who have given for me. And God, I, I continue to thank you for them. I, I pray that I may be a people that shows a love for what you've done. That, Father, that my gratefulness would flow out in my generosity. That my heart would be transformed by your working in my life. Thank you for the privilege of hearing your word today. In your name I pray. Amen.